because the diseases are so rare, they're not able to access information. A lot of the information is actually behind paywalls. Um, you know, a lot of this information is on journals, which they can't access. Fellow Homo sapiens, this week is part one of two with behavioural scientist Eden Robertson talking about her psychosocial research into supporting caregivers who have a child with developmental and epileptic encephalopathy, which is, I know, a mouthful. Well, Eden shall tell us about DEE and her work of the Gene Compass project, explaining why caregivers need support and what has been learned through the project. Part two of two with Eden next week shall feature Eden talking about the results of the project, how to provide support for caregivers, the benefits of altruism and further research into health equity. I'm Dr. Eden Robertson. I am a behavioural scientist. So what that means, I guess, like laboratory scientists study phenomena in the lab, I study human behaviour. So what people think, how they feel, how they communicate. And I work disease agnostically, so I work across all childhood chronic illnesses focusing specifically on how we can address the information needs of parents and children regarding their child's condition. So at the moment I'm working with the University of New South Wales and the Sydney Children's Hospitals Network alongside Dr Elizabeth Emma Palmer, an amazing clinical geneticist and family advocate, looking to address the information needs of caregivers specifically who have a child with a developmental and epileptic encephalopathy. So that mouthful, aka DEE, could you tell us all a bit about what that actually means, please? Because I think loads of us, which is crazy, are completely unaware of it, despite the numbers. Developmental and epileptic encephalopathy is quite a mouthful, I know. So let's go with DEE, Tori. The onset <laughs> so of these, um, you know, group of most severe epilepsies is typically through infancy and childhood, and the seizures are drug resistant. We also see with these children that they've got developmental slowing and regression and cognitive impairment and that's caused by both the epileptic activity as well as the underlying condition. And like you said, not many know, people know about DEEs or have really even heard the term and that's despite the incidence. There's over, you know, combined when we look at all, all types of DEEs together, there's over one in 2,000 live births um, with DEE. So actually quite a common um, disease when you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. All DEEs, are they all genetic or do they all have a genetic factor or is it a combination of genetics and possibly other stuff? Yeah, so they're all, all genetic based and so typically you might hear DEEs referred to as genetic epilepsies. Um, many families don't actually find out a, di- a genetic diagnosis. So typically with DEEs we would say it's a suspected or a confirmed genetic diagnosis. A lot of families have been diagnosed with a GE, but they've got actually no genetic um, uh, kind of diagnosis for that for that syndrome, and that's because you know we're really advancing in this field. We don't exactly know all the genetic causes, um, and you know there's difficulties with um, testing as well. Can you tell us a bit more about DEE and why families need support over this? And I've said it's really always extremely severe. I mean, I know the you know the risk of pseudep is likely to be a lot higher than in other people with other different epilepsies. Could you tell us a bit more, please? It is such a complex condition with so many comorbidities. It's also such a rare condition. Yes, combined, there's quite a high incidence, but individually they're so rare that there aren't clear pathways to support these families and that creates a lot of uncertainty for caregivers uh, mm-hmm. and also you know, causes them to feel a lack of control over what they can actually do to support their child. We know that for caregivers, they are at risk for a poorer quality of life than the population norm. And actually when we compare 
caregivers of a child with a DED to other chronic illnesses, they're actually faring worse. And so we can see that they are a particularly vulnerable population that we need to be doing more support for. What are you doing then? What is your work to try and improve the lives, lives, quality of lives of these people? When we talk about just anybody accessing information and trying to use that to guide their medical decision making and path, there's a couple of steps that you need to take. So the first is actually accessing information. Then you need to determine, is this reliable or relevant for me? And then once you've done that, then you actually need to understand that, what that information means for you. And I think the challenge with these caregivers is that they're having barriers at each of those steps. So because the diseases are so rare, they're not able to access information. A lot of the information is actually behind paywalls. Um, you know, a lot of this information is on journals, which they can't access. Yes. You know, it's difficult to understand whether it's reliable or high quality information because there's so much misinformation out there, especially on social media. Um, and then once they do obtain some resources, it's typically really complex with a lot of medical jargon written for clinicians and for researchers, not necessarily for families themselves. Um, so a lot of those barriers, and so I think that saying that families are drowning in information but staff for knowledge really um, kind of represents the experiences of these caregivers. And the issue is, is that unmet information needs can be contributing to their poor and quality of life. Um, so we need to be addressing it. And it also limits caregivers, and something that I'm really passionate about, it limits caregivers capacity to be involved in decision making and medical discussions to that level that they would like to be because they don't have that capacity and understanding of the core concepts to, to be a partner along that health journey. You don't know what you don't know as well and how and, and if you don't know where to look then you, you don't know where to start looking and then like you say if you come across uh, you know let, you know luck might say you don't have to pay to read this this journal it's in completely different lingo as you say and how can one understand that and that is just quite um it's well, intimidating and quite frankly I imagine upsetting if you want to understand something for the child that you love to improve their quality of life and extend their their lives but you don't know what you're talking about apart from what you witness and how you feel and how you feel that your child feels, right? So yeah. how are you sort of changing this then? What, what's the process to try and change things for the better? The work that I'm doing now leading is really addressing that core um, kind of challenge about accessing information and understanding that information about your child's um, specific um, condition. So the project I'm leading at the moment called Gene Compass it's an information linker service and what that means is that we are kind of a team of, of, of clinicians and researchers behind the scenes that families can submit their questions to us about their child's condition and we will do all of the research for them. We will develop a report that's not only high quality, it's relevant to their child's specific condition and what they ask us, um, but also in a language and presented in a way that they will understand and that's a, that's a really big issue given the complexity of DEs. So the service, uh, it's not there to replace clinical care in any way. We're not taking over the role of a neurologist and, and the purpose of those you know, face-to-face discussions, but it's to complement it. We want to really empower families to understand the core concepts of what's happening for their child so that they can better advocate um, and feel confident in caring for their child. So at the moment for the service, uh, we've enrolled 72 caregivers from across the Sydney Children's Hospitals network. And I think... You know, what's most interesting um, in, in the questions that are submitted to us, we're really being asked consistently what are the current research opportunities 
for families or for, you know, for, for children with my child's condition. What are clinical trials and what are available and what's gene therapy and where we're at. So it's really about all of this kind of experimental kind of therapeutics and, you know, next steps, like what, what is the grand thing that we can offer for my child? And I think that's, that really highlights this uh, kind of common fear that caregivers have of missing out on an opportunity for their child. So they feel this need to constantly stay abreast of current opportunities because they, they worry that what if something comes up and we miss out and miss our chance? And so that really is highlighted in the types of questions that we're being um, sent. So at the moment, you know, there are a lot of advancements and there's a lot of progress in this space. But most of the questions that we're sending back, or the reports that we're sending back to families, we're just saying, yes, there's progress, but there's not necessarily anything available for you right now. And I think that, that's validating for caregivers to say, okay, I, I have searched, and yes, there's nothing available, but that's okay because it's not like I've missed out on anything. Yeah, and you haven't sort of betrayed your child by not looking. That's You've right. done all that you can, right? I think that's really important for them because there's often a sense of guilt, isn't there, of a parent? It's completely unjustified to the outsider, but we get why. Do you find that with parents a lot? This idea of what, when we look at the literature of what parents of a child with a serious illness say means, what, what, what being a good parent means for them, it is this idea of staying abreast of current research opportunities, advocating for their child and, you know, trying to find a cure. And I think with DEs, where there isn't, you know, there aren't cures currently available, parents take on that burden, that guilt, a lot of that themselves. And so they compensate and cope by trying to find more information available. But there isn't anything out there. So for them, it's kind of that lack of information limits their capacity to feel like they're being a good parent. And I think that's, that's you know, that's heartbreaking to hear. I think that's something the gene company is trying to do is give families the skill set to be able to search effectively so that they are able to to meet that need of feeling like, yes, I have searched and I've done the right thing for my child. So a big part of Gene Compass is actually trying to build health literacy of caregivers. So health literacy is basically having the skills to navigate the healthcare system. So, you know, if a family asks about what clinical trials are available, we don't just say, none or go and have a look yeah yeah we will say this is what clinical trials are this is the different phases of clinical trials this is kind of questions you should be asking if you are considering you know enrolling in a clinical trial and this is how you would continue to search for clinical trials use this website take a look at this in particular um you know and explaining the key concepts it's the same for gene therapy rather than saying gene therapy is not available for your child right now We've gone into the detail of explaining what gene therapy actually is and why it's actually taking quite a long time to come about. Thank you so much to Eden for sharing with us her work to improve the lives of the caregivers of children with a developmental epileptic encephalopathy. Eden provides us with a clear message. The developmental and epileptic encephalopathies do not solely awfully impact the patient, but indeed their caregivers and effective education and support must be provided for them. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.